Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to South Africa on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. I'm Neil Manthorpe, one half of uh, the South African team. Langani Zama is my co-host. South Africa on 99.94 is your new home for South African content. We'll be dropping into your uh, podcast feed or on YouTube or the 99.94 app several times every week. So please rate, review and subscribe. And uh, breaking news, if you get a chance, go and uh, check out the Mitch Johnson Show Former Aussie Quick talks about uh, his life and cricket. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Uh, so um, thanks for joining Cricket's uh, Conversation. Um, Lungani and I are going to take a little <laughs> trip down memory lane um, in the hope that uh, history won't repeat itself. But uh, as we all know, South Africa's um, World Cup, T20 World Cup, got off to a very damp start against uh, Zimbabwe. And um, it reminded us and several hundred thousand other South Africans in South Africa and around the world of South Africa's wet relationship with World Cups, three times in particular. We're hoping that um, that South Africa will manage to negotiate their way past the Randolph game against Zimbabwe and still make it to the semi-finals. But three times rain has materially affected South Africa's fate at World Cups, 1991 being the one that uh, people who are old enough will remember most. Uh, 2003 was was um, certainly one of the two most traumatic days of my career in cricket. And then 2015, the semi-final, um, which again was materially affected by rain um, at um, at Eden Park in, in Auckland. Um, so start with 91 then. Um, where were you? And and how well do you remember it? How old were you actually? I was, I was six years old. I was in a township just outside Maritzburg, and to be honest, I didn't actually know a lot about cricket, but I do remember very clearly. We used to watch the news as a family, and you would wait. You'd wait for the sport because it would come just before the weather, but you would wait for the sport because primarily you were looking to see what you know what teams had done or what had been said about your favorite football team but i do remember that that day it started with the news broadcast actually started with south africa being knocked out of the world cup because of rain and there was just this image of brian mcmillan looking completely helpless and an equation that just didn't make sense and i mean no one really followed cricket in my family at the time but i do remember that this image of this massive hulking guy who just so despondent. I think that final ball that was bowled and he sort of patted back and tucked his bat under his arm and just walked away, just depressed. I, I remember it clearly and I was like, oh, well, it doesn't, it doesn't look like he was even trying at the end. Um, and then obviously you go back when you understand a bit more and you go, oh, no wonder he did that because it was completely helpless. Like there's absolutely nothing he could have done um, it's just rotten luck, and yeah. But I do remember that image of 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 the news broadcast starting with 
South Africa out of the World Cup in Australia and not understanding why the sport had come before the news for once. Those um, listeners and viewers... Who, Where were you? I, well, I was in Joburg and I was doing commentary um, off, off the TV. Um, you, you may remember that back then there was, um, there was a premium rate telephone service um, where I think people were charged, it was an astronomical fee. I, mean, I think people were paying like a rand a minute to listen to commentary on the telephone. So I was commentating as if it was radio off the TV and the reception was terrible. It looked like it was snowing in Sydney um, and we could barely make out the, the pictures, um, but I was, I was doing my best. Um, and to be honest, it, um, it was very difficult as well to get sufficient information. It was a fairly new rain rule that had been introduced actually just before the World Cup. And what happened is in the event that rain came, um, you lost um, an over, you lost the least ex- expensive over from, um, yeah, the previous innings, um, if that makes sense. So in other words, um, the maidens would be taken off and then an over with one or two runs off would be taken off. So that's the way you lost overs. So that's why at one point South Africa, the scoreboard showed um, first of all, it said it showed 23 runs off 13 balls, and then they realised that they'd calculated it wrong. And that's why it changed to 22 runs off 13 balls, and that's why it then went to 22 runs off seven balls, and then by the time they got back on, because it was only a 10-minute break, the scoreboard, that's why it had 22 runs off one ball. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, Brian McMillan. Uh, do you remember Peter, Peter Kirsten in tears as well? Um, the great Kersey. Um, Steve Schwetti was there, the sports minister. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, it was a strong sort of sense of disconnect for me. Um, uh, you know, and, and let's be honest, the team only got an invite at the last minute and they seriously overperformed. I mean, they... They they exceeded everyone's expectations, including their own. You, you know, I mean, they they were they were accountants and estate agents and and um, butchers and bakers. They weren't really seriously professional. And lawyers, don't forget, Dave Richardson was he was at the other end. Brian McMillan. Um, and the other thing I'd like to say now, in 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 on reflection, is that twenty two runs off thirteen balls back then was today's equivalent of 32 off 13, I reckon. I mean, you know, there was no sense. At no point did you think, oh, we've got this in the bag. Um, 22 runs off, uh, uh, you know, there were no, <laughs> there was no ramping or reverse sweeping. It was, you played each ball on its merits, and if the bowler bowled you a decent Yorker, you dug it out and said, well done. Um, so there was no, ch- I mean, that that to me wasn't really uh, traumatic, and I remember just sort of walking out the studio at the end of it, thinking, um, "Wow, we we had a pretty good run. <laughs> Fancy that we made it to the semi-finals." Yeah, I, I mean, I wrote that book with Mike Proctor, and we, we spent a lot of time because he was team manager talking about the emotions in that dressing room. And yes, there was disappointment, but there was relief almost at just how well South Africa had performed and how excited they were for the next and the next as as they were learning. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely wasn't the heartbreak of, well, not even the heartbreak. It was the sheer embarrassment of 2003 where you're hosting and your your mathematics just 
desperately lets you down on such a public forum. It was okay. All right, hang on. Let, let's we'll do that in part two because I need I need I need another drink of my coffee to settle my nerves. We're moving on to two thousand and three. We'll take a short break. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube, or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies, and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. All right, come on then. I'll let you talk us through it. I, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering 2003. Go on. So we, I mean, we were in the academy at that time at, at, at Kingsmead. So one of the perks of being in the academy was that in the build-up to games in Marysburg and Durban, you'd be sort of a net bowler, um, and then a couple of you would either, you know, be dressing room attendants. So you were in and around, you know, sort of helping out the ICC where you could. Um, or if you did nothing official on the day of the match, you'd, you'd, you'd get a ticket to the game. So we had tickets to the game and we were watching and kind of trying to figure out how how this thing was unraveling. And, and, and obviously the stump mic... Um, was was fully on as as Kuma Sangakara spoke so eloquently to Sean Pollock about just what he was doing and how he stuffed up the World Cup on such a public stage, um, um, and I mean, you, you just couldn't believe it because at that stage you understand exactly what's going on cricket wise. You you've kind of read the rules. You've and the commentators are talking you through it, and they're saying that don't forget the plus one, don't forget the plus one. You know, there's there's the target, which is the par, but you're not trying to par the match. You're trying to win the match, so you've always got to add the one. And you know, who knows what happens in those final throws of realizing that you're about to be chucked out of a tournament that you're supposed to be hosting, that's supposed to heal the wounds of the 1999 World Cup, you know, trauma, because half your team was there shouldn't lose to Sri Lanka at that point who with all respect were, 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 were had been world champions before but on such foreign soil they weren't expected to be as big a factor everything is set up even after losing to West Indies in the opening game you kind of felt okay South Africa are back on the up they're going to recover their composure they've got their bad performance out the way early and then the later and later it went the chase looked more and more difficult and these spinners just spun a web and it's an amazing thing to watch pressure affect elite sportsmen because things that look easy 99% of the time suddenly look impossible. And there were silly shots and there were, but it was just this commentary that Kumar Sangakara was giving in the background that you knew because you started playing in cricket and you know what, what, what people can do when they're in your ear the whole time and you're trying to concentrate on a task. And you could see Mark Boucher getting more and more agitated. You can see Pollock in the dressing room head in his hands and this real, real sense of disbelief that this is really happening. Um, it was, yeah. it was, see, it wasn't a moment, um, you know, because it was that long protracted 
two hours that we waited while the drizzle failed to clear. Just for the sake of um, listeners and viewers who, who don't remember the exact details, we're still in the group stages. South Africa is hosting its own World Cup. We're still in the group stages. They need, they've got themselves into a bit of a pickle. A couple of, you know, there, there were a couple of teams didn't travel to Zimbabwe and, and to Kenya, um, to Nairobi to play. They forfeited points. So, um, you know, there was the, there was the groups weren't configuring quite in the way that we expected them to. Um, you remember that year that Kenya actually reached the semifinals extraordinarily. But anyway, so South Africa in this situation, um, Sri Lanka made a, a very decent score, wasn't it? About 260. I haven't got the scorecard in front of me. South Africa get into a bit of trouble with the chase. It rains. The target is reduced. Anyway, so they end up, Mark Boucher's on strike and they need um, 10 or 11 off off what we felt would be the last over, not necessarily of the match, but before they went off for, for rain. Uh, they were trying to obviously finish this, this over and um, the Duckworth-Lewis method had only just been introduced. And here's a crucial piece of information that people forget. It wasn't on the scoreboard. The DLS, the the, the Duckworth-Lewis score target wasn't on the scoreboard. The scoreboards hadn't been configured to include that, which is why 12th man Nicky Boyer was trying to run onto the field. The umpires were shooing him off. Nicky Boyer was trying to run onto the field with a sheet of paper do you remember with the the Duckworth Lewis score on it in order to tell Mark Boucher what it was, and the umpires shoot him off. Steve Buckner, I think, was one of them, and he he shoot him off. Said, "Go, we we need to get finish this over," and he, he somehow the par score target was relayed to Boucher, so he had that number in his mind. And I think Boyer was trying to say plus one, plus one, and the umpires shoot him off. And he hit Matthias Merolitharan for six in that over, the penultimate delivery. And then in the belief that he had reached the Duckworth-Lewis score, not victory, because we all expected the rain to, to um, clear away. And if you remember, Eric Simons was the head coach, and he had a team discussion before the game even started. So, right, there's rain around. How do we want to play this? And he took the advice of Lance Klusner, who obviously is a, not only lives in Durban, lived in Durban at the time, but was a fisherman. And um, fishermen always know the weather. This was Eric's view. And so Lance said, it won't set in. It definitely won't set in. It'll be squally, um, but we'll, we'll get back on. There won't be long delays. And so Eric said, okay, right, we'll go with that then. So Boucher hit Muralitharin for six. And then the, as he's coming to the bowl, the last ball, South Africa need one run. And again, the way the groups were configured is that not only would that get them into the Super 6, but they would carry the points from the group stage with them into the Super 6, which meant they were all but guaranteed a place in the semi-final. So it was it was a place in the semi-final at stake, not just a place in the, in the Super 6. Boucher, in the belief that the 6 had got South Africa to the target, blocked the last ball. The umpires then said, right, the rain's too heavy. Let's go off and wait for it to clear. So off they all walked. There was no sense that they anybody had won or because we all expected them to come back on. And then we sat. 
and then we sat and then the news came from the umpires that overs were being lost now we'd lost that um the grace period of time and then we started counting the overs down <laughs> and then the news came that the cutoff for the game to finish was at 10:28 p.m. and then it turned to 10 o'clock and then it was 5 past 10 and then it was 10 past 10 and at some point at various different points it dawned on all of us that we could actually go out of the world cup and then it happened it was a proper slow burn but i think i just remember Kluzner making one of like 10 balls or something cuz there was time everybody played with this this comfort of there's so much more time i mean marvin atapato made 100 in the in the day and it was a beautiful innings but no one was worried because it was oh no well 260 whatever it was we're chasing we'll chase that down it's a good batting pitch chasing at night kingsbury's great the ball's going to be wet their spinners are not going to be effective there was no sense sounds a bit like the scripture of the titanic where you just think oh no it's an unsinkable ship you know and and then suddenly oh goodness we need lifeboats and and obviously Sean Pollock looked like literally captain smith or whatever his name is sitting on top of the tower just in shock that his ship is sinking so publicly um it was humiliating it was embarrassing deeply embarrassing all right enough of that we'll take a short break and talk 2015 after this if you love the language of cricket and want more then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary we're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Okay, we've uh, put uh, 2003 behind us. South Africa failed to get out of the group stage in their home World Cup. And um, on to 2015. Finally, a a semi-final. It's against New Zealand at Eden Park. And everything... it appears to be going very, very well. Um, South Africa are taking advantage of uh, the short boundaries on uh, one of the great rugby grounds in, in the world, Faf Duplessis going well, A.B. de Villiers. And um, they were... It's interesting, actually. Um, I'll give a gratuitous plug for, for Faf, Faf Duplessis' um, biography. Uh, it's, it's, it's very good, by the way. But in that book, he says, we were well on course for 400 I think that uh, the sands of time have um, uh, created a bit of um, hyperbole um, there in Faf's memory. I don't think, I don't recall them ever being on course for 400. But we're definitely thinking, you know, 370 um, is is on the cards. We're thinking A.B. de Villiers and Faf himself uh, had been very meticulous. And in, Dave Miller. And D- David Miller, yes, of course, that's right. Perhaps he's right. I mean, who am I to question Faf? Maybe they maybe they did think they could get four hundred. But anyway, you know, three seventy, three seventy five was was well on on the cards. Um, and then it rained, and it rained heavily, and all the plans were changed. They ended up with a decent score, but they could and possibly possibly would have put a score on the board which would have, you know, been virtually unchaseable. Ended up on 280 for three, 281 for three, I think it was, after 43 overs. Um, 
but you had the world's best batsman at that time in A.B. de Villiers on 65 not out from 45 balls and only looking like he was just getting into fourth and fifth gear because before that, Miller had this, he had this short arm jab, which was drilling the ball sort of like a, a Tiger Woods hit a stinger in golf. And he was drilling it for six with such ease. And, 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 and you, the crowd had gone quiet because they could see, okay, the, the, the form team in the game is going to go to Australia and play Australia in the World Cup final. We've, we've had a great ride. We've had some good nights at, at Eden Park. But the South African team just looks like it's steamrolling. I mean, AB, Faf saying they fell 400 was on. Actually, when you think about it logically, on such a small ground straight and the way that AB was hitting the ball, completely, completely possible. If they had faced 50 overs, who knows what they could have scored because New Zealand couldn't, couldn't bowl. Couldn't bowl to Miller and, 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 and AB for a spell. The ball just kept on disappearing. I mean, Faf batted well, but he made like 80 of 100. So it wasn't as if he was shooting the lights out. But as soon as he got out and Miller and AB got together, everything looked possible for South Africa. And and I remember watching and thinking, I cannot remember a World Cup semi-final performance this clinical. This is the time. This is the team. And, and, and I was having FOMO because long before the tournament started, we had a choice whether you wanted to put your name in the head to go to the World Cup or to go to India at the end of the year. And I'd said India because I was actually petrified of dealing with the trauma of covering another tournament failure. And I said, oh, I'll go to India. And then I'm sitting there going, you absolute idiot. South Africa's about to pull off this wonderful win and then go to the grand final against Australia, beat Australia on home soil to win the World Cup for the first time. And you've chosen to go to India for two months at the end of the year. Because it looked that clinical, that clean. I mean, it was early morning. I think I even dropped my son at school, came back. It's a cruise. This is wonderful. Like, there's no stress. And then the rain came, and then, you know, all the old ghosts start coming back because you think, surely not. They'll come back soon enough. They came back, but straight away, as soon as they walked off the field, you knew the momentum that they had. McCullum and the boys would regroup remind themselves what they're playing for. The crowd could sort of take a breath and go, whew. Because I think when the ball's flying around like that, you kind of get stuck in a trance and you're just bowling and you're just putting it on, on a plate. And Miller's hitting it further and further and further. There's nothing worse than a break because it breaks the concentration and the rhythm. And as, as well as they finished, that truncated innings cost them and gave New Zealand hope to start in a similar vein, because obviously it was a great batting pitch, but it was just miserable to, to just see so much potential sort of wither away suddenly. And and then in the back of your mind, you're thinking, if only we could have finished the innings, South Africa would have been out of sight because McCullum, as, 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 as crazily as he played at the beginning, he played because it sort of felt attainable. It wasn't so far out that he was just having to close his eyes and swing for the hills. He could actually play a bit methodical and, 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 and take a leaf out of Miller and AB's book and say, it's that good a pitch. If you just hit through the line, there's enough runs to be made. The ground is small enough. And it just needed that start. And suddenly the, the crowd was up and thinking, we're going to pull off an absolute miracle here. And, and they need us. And you know that, that volume surge 
it, yeah, it was it, it was one of the greatest games of cricket that I think we'll we'll ever see. I was commentating, um, and uh, it, it's you know when when you're behind the microphone, you've just got to describe the action. You you sort of get you dis, disassociated emotionally from from the result and everything that's happened before. Um, but uh, there was a commentary change, um, but with the, the five overs to go, and that's when I was sitting up, uh, or standing up in the in the in the rafters of the of the grandstand where the commentary boxes are, um, with the other commentators who who were off air, and that's when, you, I mean, the swing of emotion from from you know despair to elation was happening every every two balls. Um, it was incredible. It was you know. Brenda McCullum's assault and that run chase that got New Zealand off to such an astonishing flyer. Um, and, you know, just rewinding, before the game even started, uh, I was down on the field and there was a just a really, really strange atmosphere um, in the South African team. And then, and that's when I spoke to Sean Pollock, who was also commentating for TV. And um, he said, um, uh, They've changed the team. Um, Vern's playing. Vern Philander's playing um, ahead of uh, Kyle Abbott, and you know Faf deals with that in his book, and he he says that um, uh, that it was extremely traumatic and and uh, and upsetting, and, and but that he doesn't use it as an excuse at all. He says, you know, we had our chances in the game. We fluffed our lines, um, but yeah, I mean, rain materially changed that game didn't it and and i don't think i think i think it's fair to say that the duckworth lewis recalculations at that stage were still a little bit uh, sort of behind reality weren't they i mean it didn't take into account sufficiently i mean south africa lost seven overs and um i think you know that translated to something like 25 runs or something you know <laughs> it didn't it wasn't it didn't reflect um the dominance of that first innings at all this this was a, a team, and in particular, this was A.B. de Villiers at the peak of his powers. He just scored that crazy 100 of 31 balls on pink day. He, he, he'd done what he'd done to New Zealand early in the tournament at Sydney. Uh, sorry, to West Indies early in the tournament at Sydney, one of the great one-day innings. So I don't think there's a maths calculation that can sufficiently equate what AB could achieve at that time. Once he was in, there was just, a, he could literally hit the best ball in the world for six sixes in a row and make it look easy, especially on a ground that small. So for all the calculations, whatever they added, it, in South Africa's dressing room, it felt like they were shortchanged because AB never finished the innings. And this is after, like you say, they woke up to this disappointment or this, this conflict full-on conflict of a team has been changed for this reason. It is a, a uniquely South African problem. They've overcome that hurdle. They've combined together as a team and they've put up that batting performance to say, okay, we're actually going to take as much of the result away from the bowlers as possible because our star death bowler is not playing anymore, but that's fine. We'll win it with the bat and make sure that we give the bowlers enough to defend. And they've charged like absolute trains. And yeah, there's, 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 you can't. I mean, the way that AB at that pink day, that's the, the, the starkest example of you cannot put a lid on genius. And unfortunately, maths equations, you know, put everyone into the same same box and say, well, you know, historically, people scored this much at this time. 
historically you hadn't seen a machine like AB playing, you know, as captain of their team, knowing that this was their moment, this was their time, and he was the guy to do it. I, I, I've spoken to him since. He's never, ever fully recovered from the trauma of that day because everything looked like the stars had aligned. Standing in the middle, there was serenity, which is uncommon to South Africans. But he, he felt it, it was time. I've, I've, I've practiced this. I've, I've played this movie out in my head. I've, I've made runs. I've, I've sort of got into turbocharge where people can't touch me. People can't bowl to me. Like it, it, it's not an arrogance. It was a reality. You could see fear in the eyes of the best bowlers in the world, not just in the IPL, but in international matches. He'd seen it. And he knew that look and he knew that feeling. He was absolutely certain that if he batted seven overs, South Africa would have been out of sight. And I don't think anyone can argue that. You take that away and, and then the absolute cliffhanger with, of course, a fellow South African hitting the winning runs is... <laughs> Grant Elliott. <laughs> The ultimate body blow. I mean, it's it's not fun to see, you know, anyone cry at the end of a cricket of, of a sporting match of any nature because it's sport. But I think you know, you speak to any one of those players, even now, when they see images of 2015 World Cup semi final, and they sort of, you know, peel the mind back to exactly what they felt at that time. Like Mourne, Morkel sobbing like a baby. Faf, AB, all of them, all of them, all of them. It's it's not something that you ever get over because you put in so much and you thought with so much certainty that this is your time. And it's a combination of factors, even some of them own goals. It's a combination of factors that have just taken it away and it feels like, you know, the ultimate conspiracy theory. World cricket will just dangle this carrot and the closer you get, the more it's going to hurt. And I don't think... I don't know if it's possible for a World Cup loss to hurt more than that because it just felt like everything was in place. And finally, the consolation is that we had a damn good tour of India. Well, look, by the time India came around, I think by the end I was speaking Hindi, I was ordering Ubers <laughs> like a local. Ah, I had the absolute time of my life. And actually to have had to witness that in person, if I'd gone to New Zealand, I'd, I don't know. I, you know, you, you you might have started sobbing like one of the cricketers <laughs> yourself, and and just don't know how you cover the match at that point because, you know, we we're professionals and 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 we 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 cover these events. But you you're South African, like we keep saying, like you, you know, you can wear your neutral hat all you want, but after all the trauma that South Africa suffered on the cricket field, if you care about cricket and you played the game and you had hopes of playing the game at any level and seeing South Africa win something, when it gets that close on such a such a massive stage, you can't not hurt. You can't not feel for, for, for players that you know personally and you know that their dreams were building up to that moment and to be crushed so violently um, by just a tsunami of events over that 24 hours. It's, it's trauma. So India was definitely eat, pray, love, um, I mean, there was rain there too. There was rain at AB's 100th test there. But we couldn't give two stuffs because we're just swanning around, sampling donuts in Bangalore's main road. And it was a world away from the trauma of the World Cup. But it hurts. It hurts to this day for anybody who cares about South African cricket because it felt like 2015 was the time. I mean, they cut a music video for crying out loud for Protea Fire. I mean, that, that team had 
all the ingredients, they had a bigger wave of national optimism around them when they left. I remember the send-off at Rosebank. It felt like it was time. It felt like it was time for so many and to 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 have to yeah to come back with that trauma added on to ninety nine and added on to ninety one and yeah it just feels like this vicious cycle of World Cup pain. Well, there's a, there's a belief in the cricket world that South Africa have to win one one day. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough for now. Um, that's our little trip down memory lane. Um, thank you for listening to South Africa on 99.9 for where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe um, wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at uh, Neil Manthorpe, at Neil Manthorpe and at Whamzam17. Zams, thank you very much. Till next time. Thanks for the early dose of trauma, man. It's cheers. Thanks for listening to South Africa on 99.94, where we speak cricket every day. Please rate, review and subscribe wherever uh, you enjoy your podcasts. It certainly uh, gives us a welcome boost. Um, you can download the 99.94 app and follow us on Twitter at Neil Manthorpe and at Whamzam17. So never miss out. Join our 24-7 conversation on social media and follow us at 9994DM. <laughs> cricket every day, your way. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.